Hey, y'all. Unfortunately, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. But fortunately, it is a lot of good content, starting with their time at Mega Moose Con. They also let loose another batch of flying squirrels. And the featured games of this episode are Twilight Inscription, 3,000 Scoundrels, and Lacrimosa. Let loose another batch of flying squirrels? Who writes this stuff? I said good content. Hello and welcome to episode number 268, Rock Me Amadeus, where twice makes it so much better. This is Tony. And this is Marty. So I see you changed your little opening bit. You didn't think the other one went too well? I think it went excellent. I just knew I couldn't recreate the magic. (laughs) That's so funny. We got 20 minutes into the recording and Tony just kind of puts his head down in his hands. I knew exactly what happened. I said, Something went wrong with the recording, didn't it? So, hey, hey, you know what? It was it was a dry run. So we could, you know, we should be able to get right to the point on uh, those things that we just talked about earlier. Yeah, and uh, allow me to go get my cream sickle for dessert. I'm really a cream sickle. Is it orange flavor? Orange, yeah, orange sherbet flavor. You know those things? Does it have the white cream? Yeah, in it? Yeah, Mayfield, also good. That uh, sounds good. Do you like push-ups? I love push-ups. Me too. That's an acquired taste, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's also messy, especially, and then you get pissed if you push it too far up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get upset with myself, so. Oh, I'll go ahead and tell you one thing I forgot to do this weekend. What's that? I forgot to bring you a Mountain Dew Voodoo. Oh, the mystery flavor, right? Yeah, I got a case of uh, Zero, the Mountain Dew Zero, I believe that's it. Mystery 2200, yeah, whatever, 2200, wow, 2022. 2022, and we were going to have it set up, but I forgot, so hopefully I'll get it to you, um, not this week, but the following week. No problem. Unless you pick some up. I have not gotten you. I can look for it, though. I know in our next episode, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing one of our video episodes, so I don't know whether we want to have it then, do another little, little taste test on that. Maybe. I'm actually looking forward to that next one. I'm just going to tease it real quick. We're going each year. We always talk about the uh, nominees for the Toy Hall of Fame. They were just announced, so we're going to go through each one of those and then give our predictions on what we think will win. And we thought, hey, this would be pretty good because on the uh, on the YouTubes, mm-hmm. that's how the little that's how the youngins say it, the YouTubes. Yeah, right. Uh, we can actually I can throw a little image up there of what the toy looks like. Do the youngins even watch YouTubes? I thought they TikTokers. Uh, and, and Twitchers. I, I don't know. And, yeah, well, they they do they do they be doing the TikToking too. But I guess if they want something a little bit longer than thirty seconds or a minute or however long a TikTok is, they go they go to YouTube. So yeah, so uh, next episode of our I don't we don't really have a name for it. Um, our little video episode we'll be covering uh, basically our annual topic of the uh, Toy Hall of Fame games. Mm-hmm. I, so I think I've got a theme for that now that you okay. said that and. Every episode, you know, you said you wanted to make it a question when we do these. Correct. So I think we should always have the question, does whatever suck? (laughs) (laughs) Do toys suck? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. You just want to do something clickbaity. Sure. It works works for everybody else. That's true. That's, That's true. Negative sales. Man, you, you, you just sucked down that thing. Okay. This drives my sister insane. First off, I hate getting food on my hands. Okay. That's one. That's probably something you did not know about me plus with the 30 plus years. I, I, I will circle back to that, but go ahead. What's, what are your sister head about you? That when I have a popsicle, mm-hmm. growing up through my whole life, I will 
even though I hate having metal scrape against the front of my teeth, like a fork or anything, cannot stand mm. that. I'm able to bite with my teeth a popsicle. I don't lick them because I don't like them to melt and get on my hands. So I okay. did, did this as a kid over 55 years old, and I still do it because I still don't like it on my hands. So do you like buffalo wings? Yes, I eat wings, but it drives me insane. It does. Okay. <laughs> I have to have okay. lots of napkins. Okay. Uh, barbecue ribs, I guess the same way. Yes. And anything, okay. I'll, I'll eat anything with, with the hands, but it's one of those things where I'm always, you know, constantly wiping them because I, it's just weird. Just leave me alone. What? I'm not, I don't think that's weird at all. Oh, you should. I would. No, what's weird is our buddy Mark, who runs the Mega Moose Con that we're getting ready to talk about, will not eat meat off a bone. No. He has to have uh, like chicken that has no bone in it. Will not eat a chicken leg. Will he not? Will not eat chicken breast unless that breast has no bone in it. What about ribs? Don't I don't know. think, I think he said he doesn't do ribs either. Unless it's pulled? Huh. Pulled pork? Oh, obviously pulled pork, but anything on the bone. Cause it's so funny. You know, in the past when we've said, Hey, let's get something for lunch. I'll get some fried chicken or something. He's like, Nope, not ain't gonna, doing that. I ain't going to do that. Now that's weird. Well, we all, we all have our thing. I know you got one. I'm sure you got, oh, we all got our quirks. I don't, I don't like mouth noises. I thought what that kind of stuff. Mm. No, like, uh, if, if people like hum or whistle constantly or choose gum with their mouth, open, oh. it drives me insane. Mm. I hate, I hate, I hate your, it's like, can you not keep your lips closed and chew? Kind of like what we had with the Takis when you and I were chewing and you could hear it in the background as I'm listening <laughs> yeah. to this. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that was a mistake. Uh, so the problem was uh, with our live videos, I don't edit any of that. I mean, you, you get what you get. So when we do our uh, taste buds, I typically take out a lot of the chewing noises. <laughs> so you got the full chewing effect in that episode. Oh, that was that was embarrassing. So the reason why I needed to get this to you over the weekend is because I was going to see you because we spent our weekend, or at least I spent Saturday, you spent Friday and Saturday at our local convention hosted by Mark Kell, known as Mega Moose Con down in mm-hmm. Rich, not Richfield, Rich, what? Richburg. Richburg, South Carolina uh, was an amazing success. Uh, Mark said he had more than he did before. The pre, uh, the numbers were better than the pre-pandemic numbers. Uh, I could totally see this this convention hitting like 500 in a couple years. Uh, it was it ran really well. There was a lot of space. There was a lot of vendors there. The food trucks, he had two food trucks that were amazing for food. He had a coffee food truck that was there a couple times a day each day, which Tony, we needed because mm-hmm. it was absolutely freezing inside. The man kept it ice cold in there. I told <laughs> I told him that he should just sell hoodies next year for instead of t-shirts for Mega Moose Con. And that ice, that, I wonder if he had a side deal. I wonder if he was taking a commission off that coffee truck. Oh, basically cranking down the AC so it would drive people out to the coffee truck because they were going to get uh, some stuff to get warmed up. Yeah, and I don't drink coffee, but you said it was good. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they had this thing called a dirty blonde and a dirty brunette, which was like either it was a latte, either iced or warm. And like the dirty brunette, which I think I liked a little bit more, was vanilla, dark chocolate and a secret ingredient. And 
I could this if if they were to tell me the secret ingredient, I go yes, that's it. But it's one of those things I could not place. I said butterscotch. I let Nate taste it. He goes, I get the idea of butterscotch, but I don't think it's butterscotch. I don't know what it was, but I had like three of those things, and they were amazing. Now I did go to the standard fare food truck that had the burgers and the dogs, and you know I forget what else they had that that oh a chicken sandwich that was very good. Mm-hmm. Bills, it was really a good burger. I, you know, sometimes you you'll get that and they'll be like dried because they cooked them three days ago. Oh no, yeah, I get that. And I went to the other truck, which was barbecue and brisket, uh, which was really good too. I got the trough, uh, which was brisket, slaw, and baked beans, all kind of put together in a little container, which was really good. Okay, so last episode we had an issue with Alexa here at the house. I'm squirreling on you right now. Sorry. That's fine. Go for it. None of the lights have come on. We got some issues here, and Alexa is telling me that the server is unresponsive. Oh, no. I hate it when that happens. What does that mean? I have no idea. So now I can't control anything. You you can. So I'm looking over your right shoulder. There's a light switch right there. You could walk over there and turn it on and turn no, it no, off. No, no. This is in another room. Ah, uh, okay. These are those smart bulbs. So how do you turn on mm-hmm. a smart bulb when the power's already there and it's not on? Uh, I've got smart bulbs too. They remember the last thing that they were when you turned them. Oh, oh I don't know. Oh yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. Thank you. So, so they ain't too smart. Well, I think the people who are trying to use it aren't too smart. Okay. I found out what it is. It's the type, okay. it's the type of smart bulb. It's time to go back to old school. Clap on, clap off, baby. It always I'm, worked. <laughs> I'm fine with that. You know? Oh, okay. Back to Mega Moose Con. Back to Mega Moose Yeah, Con. back to Mega Moose All Con. right. Yep. Big hit for me at this convention was a game you and I went gaga over that we couldn't get. Why couldn't we not get it, Marty? Why are we so denied this game? Uh, because it's only available in Brazil? Yes. It's only available in Brazil because it's about comic books. How did we get to play this game? Because Kent Parker is amazing. Listener of the show, been a listener forever. And he came all the way from Greenville, North Carolina. And he said, you know, I know you guys, you talk about it. I think you're going to like this game. Kent knows us. He does. And this was an amazing game. I mean, at its core, this is really a simple auction card drafting game where you're trying to collect sets. But what's so cool is the cards you're collecting The sets you are making are of comic book covers from Marvel. Yes, that means actual comic book covers of Iron Man, Black Panther, Spider-Man, Captain America, Black Widow. So you got these huge decks of cards, present comics, older comics, and like Silver Age comics. You play over the course of three rounds and each round is broken into a phase where you're, it's like, it's so cool. It's like, I'm going to go to a comic book shop and get some comic books. The drafting mechanic for that is different than the one than when you go to the flea market, which is different from the one that when you go to the convention, which is different from the one when you go to a full-fledged auction. Full-fledged auction is really simple. You got like 15 bucks to spend over the course of the game, and you've got some uh, cards that are put out on the table, a row of five, a row of four, four, three, and two. No two. No and then two. You, just three. No two. Just three. And then whoever uh, the first player is uh, throws out a bid on one of those rows. 
typical betting faction, you go around and somebody's going to get those get those cards. But the whole goal is to collect or create sets of one type of comic book hero, but the values of the sets are randomly determined at the beginning of the game. So for example, for us, the most valuable comic to collect was sets of Black Panther as compared to somebody like Hulk or Iron Man, which was the least valuable to collect. And you had to keep that in mind because the way you win this game, brilliant, most victory points. Mm-hmm. And Kent sent me up. He even sent me, he says, how do you win this game? And he looks right at me. And like a fool, I missed my cue. So any game that has a drafting mechanic with cards, hooks mm-hmm. it hooks me. Seven Wonders yeah. always hooks me. But what's cool about this is there's multiple drafting mechanisms. Yes. Depending on which store or event you're at. Every round has a, a simple card drafting but it feels like you're sitting there with your keep, buddy keep one pass yeah, keep, keep one, one pass, pass. Yeah. that yeah and yep. and, it, and yeah there's no the theme is the cards but you can make your own and here's my theme i'm sitting there with you and and bert and bert's son and we've got our little collection of comics and we're trading with one another just kind of you know like you were growing up hey i'll trade you this iron man for this captain america and then you pass it mm-hmm. you could you create your own story here even all you're doing is picking a card, pass. Picking a card, pass, trying to build your strategy. Another one of the drafting mechanism, of course, was one of my favorites. And that was when you had a five-by-five five grid of cards. On your turn, you got to select the hero you wanted to collect, either in that row or that column, based on the symbol on the card. Simple enough. And you'd pull those up. It would pass to Marty. Now, Marty could then pick a row or column and collect his hero. But wait, I opened up an area so that Marty could slide that hero card up. He can, he can manipulate the cards and maybe make that row more valuable for him as long as he did not extend the five by five grid. And then he would pick one and it would serpentine around and you would take those cards into your hand. Really cool. I like that mechanism. That was my favorite. And then my next one was when uh, you put out four cards on the table in a column And on your turn, Mm. you can either add a card to a row or pick up the row that's there. And the row could be up to size four. And again, you're doing all this based on sets that you're trying to create based on what values were set at the beginning of the game. There's also this other thing, too, where there are these uh, icons on some of the comic books, like ones for like first edition or first sighting, etc., that... Uh, the more of that type of that icon you have in your collection at the end of the game, you'll get victory points based on that. But what I really, really like at the end was at the end of each round, you got to decide what cards you're going to keep and what you're going to give up or basically use to pay for those cards. So the cards have a value, either one, two, or three, with the idea being the newer comics are value one and the older comics are value three. So I can like use a card that has a value three to put it into the discard pile to pay for three ones that might help me with my sets of my collection. The goal is to try to get a lot of one particular type of comic. Yeah. And one of the things you need to do is when you're doing it, you also need to look around the table and see who's collecting. And maybe even though that your set may not be as valuable, valuable, you may keep them from collecting a lot in their set. Mm. You always want to get a set of at least three so you can have some scoring because everyone, you got to have three or your collection ain't worth squat. 
Right, right. And then there's a whole other one at the very end of the game. You, The more different collections you have of at least three, that also creates more victory points. So you could have like, I'm going to have tons of Black Panther, and that's about it. Or I'm going to have like four or five different sets, and that would generate a lot of victory points too. So there's multiple ways to score. It's one of those things, honestly, the theme of the Marvel comics is what elevated it for me. If this was just generic comics or art or something i would still play it because i like that style of drafting games but it's the marvel theme that put the cherry on top for me and now i'm obsessed with it can't stop thinking about it in fact today i sent an email to the marketing person asthma day asthma day has the marvel license because ffg makes marvel champions and other marvel games and i said there's this game over here tell you right now if you can get rights to it bring it over here and publish it in the u.s it'd be a huge hit mm-hmm Simple, quick filler game, be done in 30 minutes. And, and you're right. All those mechani- mechanics of this game make it a fun game for me. And very enjoyable, quick game. But, but with, by making it comics, then it's something that I enjoy doing, that I do, or I used to do. I used to collect the Hulks, the Spider-Mans, things like that. So when I would see those titles or see those covers... And I was like, oh man, yeah, I remember reading this. This is the one where Carnage came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. oh, all right. And we were doing that stuff too. And we we're all geeking out going, oh yeah. You know, There's like the, one of them was Civil War and Bert's son. They said, oh yeah, we just finished reading the Civil War series and all this. That's what made it so good. And, oh, uh, and you can't get it. So it's, and I think there was one of those things that uh, Kent said, yeah, this was going to go for like over a hundred dollars on eBay. If anybody even has it or you can find it. Yeah. And he actually said that he had to print out stickers to put on the board in English. So you could be able to read how the, the rounds work and everything like that. Yeah. So, so have a little come here. Maybe if you're down in Brazil, you can pick up one. I know in 2023, we've got a um, cruise to South America and Brazil is one of our stops. So you know where I'm hitting if it has not made it. That luggage, I'll get you a copy. I'll get me a copy. I might buy 10 copies and then sell them up here. Now, we love our card games. Yes, we do. However, there was a card game that we played that you weren't that crazy about. Uh, We talked about Scout uh, a couple of episodes ago where... We got to do it. Stop. Scout. Scout. Let it all out. All right. That's the last time. We don't promise. I can't promise that. Uh, From Oink Games. And another game I picked up from them at Gen Con was Durian. Yes, the fruit that we tried, it was, that's really nasty. And uh, in this game, everybody has a fruit card in front of them that has different types of fruit on it, different numbers, but you can't see what's on your card. You can only see everybody else's. And on your turn, you're going to draw a fruit card from the deck and put it face down on the table to uh, basically those represent the the orders that need to be filled with the fruit that's available from everybody that's sitting at the table. The thing is, though, if at any point in time you think that if you look around the table and I say, well, I count three bananas, but I see four fruit on the table or four bananas on the table. That means uh, we don't have enough bananas. And what you do is you there's a little cute little bell. You ring the bell that represents bringing the manager over to check the inventory versus the order. Gameplay stops. Everybody reveals their cards. And we would count the numbers of each of the fruit that's in the orders, compare them to the inventory. So let's go back to the bananas. Let's say that, see, I see I'm counting four bananas, but only see three on the table. And I've pulled my card up and it's like, oh, crap. 
there's two bananas on my card, which means, oh, we had more than enough to cover the order. I just ticked off the manager. I take an angry victory point, which is not good. Mm-hmm. But if I was, if there were no bananas on my card and we didn't have enough to fulfill the order, then the person I rang the bell on who last played the card, they would get the angry manager token. And then you get new cards. You can, do, can you continue playing over and over until somebody gets seven angry points and then the person with the fewest points wins. Now, I enjoyed the game. I played it multiple times on Friday night, several times on Saturday. And I thought, man, I cannot wait for Tony to play this. You tried it and you were like, it's not worth my time. Mm. Mm. Why is that? They're not, it's not my type of game. Not saying it's a bad game or anything like that. It's just not a game for me. And we all have that. We all have that situation where in a game, you're just like, all right, I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding strategy here. I'm not feeling the strategy. I'm not feeling the angst or the tension of this. I mean, in this game, there should be a tension to it. There should be something that when you play that card, are you going to get called out because you don't know what's in front of you? And I just never felt that with this game. And mm. I think I think that's one of the things. And once again, it's the group you're playing with and how they get involved. And unfortunately, it just didn't happen for me. And, and uh, that's me. That's me. I just, okay, enough. It, it's not mine. No. Mm-mm. That's fine. That's fine. So, uh, big scout fan, Durian, not so much, mm-hmm. but that's all right. Oink makes a lot of different games. Uh, you know, they're like 20, 25 bucks a piece, a small box game. So I'm going to continue buying these. I think these are really cute. And I think there's a lot of really uh, cool gems out there. Now there was another card game that we got to play that morning, uh, with Ian, uh, who's a local person. It's in our discord channel, a game that you haven't played in a very long time. And that's Lord of the Rings LCG. And after so many years of not playing that game and coming back and playing one scenario, what's your impressions now? I was clueless. That's my impression. I was completely clueless. Here's the thing. We're sitting there playing, and I appreciate you volunteering to pick up some Bojangles. But you're over there posting and telling us, okay, we're going to start at 8 a.m. What time did you show up? Well, how did you get the Bojangles? You're Bojangles, but what time did you? Yeah, so me and Ian are sitting there waiting oh, on you. Okay, oh wow, I was 15 minutes late. I'm sorry. 15? Are you sure? Positive. Are you sure it wasn't an hour? Because it felt like an hour. Oh my lord! It wasn't okay. I'll give you that. I'll cut you some slack. So, Lord of the Rings, great artwork, brought me back. You know, all this coming back. But then you and Ian are sitting there playing, and you're you're kind enough to go over and say okay to help remind you of things because I had completely forgotten about how the resources work. And then y'all were doing this questing and saying, okay, I, I remember we had to commit so much for a quest, but I wasn't sure how you were calculating out. Did we pass or do we travel? All that was lost on me. But I will say probably one of the best things out of this was, and you mentioned this, that these standardized decks that they've come up with, there was there were a lot of neat mechanics in the one that I played, which was the uh, Rohan. Mm-hmm. That was very enjoyable, how the cards worked together. And I didn't have to put that together. That made this game enjoyable, whereas if I had been playing and you had just thrown down a standard deck on me, I got a feeling it would have been lost on me. And I would have said, you know what? I'm kind of disappointed, but it was disappointing on my part because I haven't, I didn't refresh myself on the rules. So that that's where I was, but it was, it was enjoyable because that deck was just so fine tuned. Yeah. These are all starter decks. They just came out with, and I brought four for everybody to pick from. You, you mentioned the Rohan. There were the elves. 
uh, dwarves in Gondor. And each of them have a very unique mechanic. And each of them came with a little book that explains, oh, by the way, this is how you're going to play this deck. Use this strategy, look for this card. So they have done a really, really good job of creating these fine-tuned decks. They did the same thing with Arkham Horror too, uh, where you could just get into the game, uh, buy a scenario, and start playing. Uh, this is one of those games that I thought, okay, this game is going to feel dated. And when it kind of got re-released last year and I went and, got, and went and revisited it, I thought, okay, the game is not as bad as I thought it was. Now, there was a, a point that I've always had an issue with this game. And uh, Richard Launius, uh, the designer of Arkham Horror and a lot of other games was at uh, Mega Moose. We were talking about this game. He said, my issue with this game was always that characters can either defend or attack, but not both. And I always had that problem too, mm-hmm. because it was a decision I hated to make. I got to make sure I got to have guys available to defend. If not, I'm going to take a lot of damage. But then if they're defend, then I got nobody to left to attack. And then those monsters stay there next round. I wish they would have tweaked that a little bit. I thought Richard had a really good idea as a designer. Like if you use a guy to defend, that decreases their attack value if you use them to attack also. So they're not as good as at doing both as opposed to just doing one. I wish they'd done something like that. I mean, Boromir had three arrows and he was still taking out Urukai. Exactly. So thematically, that's that's kind of how it works. But I really enjoy the game. They just came out with Angmar's Awakenings. We got a copy of of that to try. It's one of those things, honestly, if you were to say, all right, Marty, once a month, I want to play Lord of the Rings. I'd, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree. I just, I just enjoy those style of games. I enjoy playing through a scenario, being done and moving on. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the theme that I enjoy, the, the Lord of the Rings. And I just, I need to go back and refresh because I, I will say this. When we were sitting there and I was trying to remember things on timing and when certain things kicked in and certain keywords, of course, I will say that the rule book was a lot better than I remember. And you said they they redesigned that a little bit. And I apologize for just jumping in without re-explaining the rules. I should have gone over each of the phases again just once to make sure it was it came back to you. Well, it finally did when we won. <laughs> I also purposely picked a scenario that I knew that was kind of easy just so it wouldn't be such a beat down for us. Right. And I, and I still do that until I read the rule book. I still don't understand. I know you have to travel and get rid of a location. After you quest, you have the option to travel to a location that's in the encounter area. And uh, you typically do that because that encounter card adds threat every round that you want to get rid of. But then once you have a card you've traveled to, you have to put enough progression tokens on it before you can go back to the main quest. So it's like a side quest. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole theme of it. Well, that should wrap up Mega Moose Con, except for one more game that we got to play. And we're going to talk about that with a, I guess, a full impression versus this quick. Uh, one more, three more. Three more. All three games featured in this episode. I played, you played two of them. And I played I the other on Friday night. Saturday was such a blur. Okay. Saturday is a blur. But yes, you played both of those games, but brand new games, like brand spectrum new. One's not even out. And the other one I played on Friday night, you played our last game night. Okay. So we, we got recovered there. So uh, one thing before we move on to uh, some other stuff, I just want to give a big shout out to TR Knight on our Discord channel who ran a RPG one shot on our Discord channel for a bunch of the members there. They, it looks like they had an amazing time. It took them a while to get a date set to play. They kept having to move it. You know, we're adults. We got conflicts we got to deal with, et cetera. So uh, thank you, TR, for running that. And they're already looking at doing something else. I think it's uh, I think it's really cool that 
People are stepping up and wanting to do these little one-shot scenarios. And a lot of people are wanting to do it to try out different RPG systems. You know, typically you just play one thing, but this is a good way to try out other systems, which I know I can't wait next year when My Little Pony RPG comes mm-hmm. out. I assume you'll run a little something for oh, us on the channel. Oh, I am so running a My Little Pony RPG. That's going to happen. Now, we did make some people a little bit richer from last episode, and I want to address that right now. So yes, it was Dice Throne, sorry, or Dice, yeah, it's Dice Throne, not with an S, versus Dice Realms, and I kept saying Dice Realms, and Marty didn't correct me because he's the kind guy that he is, and I think he was sitting there and saying, you know, we haven't paid out of $5 yet. So you, yeah, I didn't have the game sitting in front of me, and thing is, though, there is like a Dice Realms game. There is a Dice so. Realms, yeah, absolutely, but I was sitting there, it's Dice Throne, so <laughs> Wow. A lot of people got 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 their hand in our pocket on that one, but that's okay. Ooh, that one hurt. We heard about that. A we heard from publishers, mm. not even from the uh, the OP or Roxley who makes the game that said y'all do know it's Dice Throne, don't you? Yes, we know. That's because we didn't tell them we did anything. So that was Dice Throne. Thank you very much. And then the next one is we obviously cannot remember our dates of movies or things like that because 1914, the Quartermaster General in 1914, and then I associated it incorrectly with the movie 1917. Only missed it by three years, but I guess that was significant. Yeah, it was enough for somebody to say, hey, you owe me $5. And I'm like, yep, we didn't. Now, I'm surprised I didn't catch that one. Hey, at least it was the same war. It was. It, I mean, y- Yeah. At least we didn't get off by, you know, a World War One versus World War Two or something like that. So yeah, we uh so like we're still honoring our five dollars. If the era is egregious, mm-hmm. we will definitely uh, you know, pay like we should. Man. Luckily we still got a handful of uh five dollar gift card dip, gift card codes left. We'll see if we can get through this episode without making a mistake, but the chances of that are pretty slim. Slim to none. One last thing before we move on to some flying squirrels. We don't talk about our uh, support site a lot, our uh, buymeamoonpie.com. Uh, that is out there for anybody who wants to help support the show. And the reason uh, why we appreciate people supporting the show, because it just helps cover some of the costs that we have. For example, a couple weeks ago, I got me an HDMI switcher. Uh, that I'm using for the cameras and and such that uh, I'm using for the, our video episodes that we're doing. So uh, thanks to generous uh, people like y'all, I was able to uh, get that little switcher. I need one of those. Yeah, it, and it's also helpful too. Is uh, like when I stream Switch games with a click of a button, I can switch. Huh, switch. I can change the uh, the output to one of the monitors to be the switch. So I can get that on the full screen and have my other screen for doing the streaming and everything like that. So it wasn't that wasn't a little expensive thing, but you know, we we had the funds to be able to pay for it. So we super appreciate that. So we really want to start trying to push that at buymeamoonpie.com. And one way we're going to do that is we're going to introduce a brand new tier reward. Okay. The, yeah, hold on. This is Marty is dropping this on me. So we are all hearing this for the first time. Yes. So about a couple months ago, I got to do an event thanks to the Detmers inviting me to go do an event called Mall Night Long, which is an online game show run by Chris, who used to do Flip the Table. So what he does is he has this really, really fun game show based around the themes of visiting different stores in the mall that he runs for a group of people. And it is extremely well done. Uh, He's an amazing moderator he has sound effects and all this stuff. He has it organized super well. And so what he does is kind of like 
he charges a, a fee to run this for friends and family and such. And I thought this was such a good time. It'd be fun to do with people on our Discord channel. So what we're going to do is we're going to offer a new reward to buy me a moon pie if you support us on the grumpy level, which is $10 a month. Once we get up to eight people on that level, we're going to invite all you people to join us one night to do a mall night long. We split into two teams. Tony, you'll be the captain of one. I'll be the captain of the other. And we're going to do things like name that tune. The price is right. He has all these cute little games kind of built into this game night. That is a load of fun. So all you got to do is support us on the grumpy level or, or give a one-time donation within the, at this calendar year of a hundred dollars because the grumpy is $10, $10 per month for a year is be 120. So if you do it all at once, a hundred dollar level, We'll invite you to come do the mall night long event with Tony and I and Chris. And if you're big fans of Flip the Table, uh, that's the host that uh, we're referring to. So based on what I just heard, I don't have to donate $100, but yet I'm still invited. I'm not. I'm not. Mm, okay. I see how you did this. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And here's the thing is, mm-hmm. let's say we have a huge influx. We won't. Let's say we have a huge <laughs> influx of people. We'll just, he has two different versions of this game show so we can run multiple events. If you back it and you miss the first game show, then we'll just have another one in the future. Again, buymeamoonpie.com. And if you say, I don't really want to do that, but if you want to support you guys, we have one-time donations. You can make a recurring donations of other levels like one to $5 per month, but that's our first big tier reward. And I are actually working on others. We're working with our good friend, uh, Berkey from Game Toppers. We maybe have a little something, a little physical something that he's working out for us, Tony, that he did with the secret cabal that I thought would be cool for us too. Okay. Just tell me when I got to ship it out and what I got to ship. Maybe he'll ship it for us. Okay. But anyway, for all those who are supporting us right now, thank you so much. If you're already at those levels, guess what? You're already going to get to play. So you're set. You're in. Something to look forward to in the future. And it is a fun evening of two to three hours. What are you laughing at? <laughs> something to look forward to in the future. That statement right there, there people are like, how do I pull my pledge? Does this mean? (laughs) Is there another pledge level where I don't have have to to do do this? (laughs) What pledge level do I need to contribute to to stop 10 years of madness? Where is that? Oh, how about this? We're going to take a little quick commercial break and then come back with some flying squirrels. I said it in the show, and if this commercial is playing before I said it, well, I'm saying it before I say it, but pay attention this time, because you probably weren't paying attention when I said it, or went after I say it, miniaturemarket.com. <laughs> I don't even know who's what spot you're doing at this point. I know, okay, miniaturemarket.com. Miniaturemarket. Okay. Sign up for the newsletters. They're always got special deals. Matter of fact, when we were recording, they, uh, they recognized Pirate's Day. All right, so all all the pirate stuff was up to 65% off. Go out there if you needed something piratey. They had it on sale for you or do like I did. They have those big clearance sales. They were just moving their warehouse over and they had a big clearance sale and I picked up Carcassonne Hunters and Gathers. Also, they have folded space. It's constantly coming back in stock. Matter of fact, I've been trying to score an Arc Nova folded space insert so I can get my Arc Nova organized because I hear from one of our loyal listeners, Chevy Dodd, that it's well worth it. 
Money well spent. Can you teach me that game? Because on our Discord channel, we asked, what's your favorite game of the year? And by far, number one was Ark Nova. So we need to play. We do, but you got to give me time. You never give me time. You always want to play something else that you can easily pick up at miniaturemarket.com. <laughs> I know how to do this. Now, it's not like I ain't been doing this for 10 years. Newsletter. Check their sales daily. Be sure to take advantage of their whole policy because they also recently did a free shipping at $75. You never do know when this stuff is going to drop. MiniatureMarket.com. It's time for Flying Squirrels. Two-minute discussions on topics that have our attention. For now... Welcome to Flying Squirrels. This is our segment where we're going to talk about a lot of interesting different. Okay, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different topics. They may or not be interesting, but what we're going to do is we're going to have two minutes to talk about each topic. At the end of the topic, you're going to hear this noise, which means it's time to move on to the next topic. Hey, Tony, why don't I kick this one off? About freaking time you carried your weight around here. Wait, that's what you usually say to me. Okay, go. All right, this is really cool. There's this little thing that's happening with um, uh, Travis, who is here at home after graduating from college. And some of his friends are, they're starting to come over every Friday night and just hang out. Well, they're hanging out in the basement where they have tons of different board games. And I'm like, go, go play some games, go play some games. So like a couple weeks ago, we got the big, big version of code names. So they got down code names and started playing it, which is an amazing party game still to this day. I mean, and it doesn't matter what age you are. Code names is, is a fantastic game. We got a copy of geek out from ultra pro that's based on video games. Tony, they said they spent hours playing that. Mm. And get this, they spent 45 minutes just on one question. The question was, how many video games can you name that are crossovers of one another? And the teams had to take 40 minutes of peace to, uh, to come up with our final list for their bid. I would have been done in about 10 seconds. Me too. So it's like, well, that's, that's cool that y'all are doing that. This week, they're wanting to play Mansions of Madness, which is really cool. So Travis is going to learn that with October coming up. But I think the highlight is every week, they always close out their game night with massive games of strike. Okay, so that's what that picture was from. I'm like, what is he doing with this? I thought that was at Mega Moose. No. Oh, you mean on uh, Instagram yeah. or wherever I posted it? Yep. That was the boys that were just down there chunking some dice in, in a bowl and playing strike and just loving every minute of it. I'm contractually not obligated to correct you on that anymore. <laughs> but it's so, so I'm up here and you hear them just start dying laughing. I mean, and you know what they're laughing about. Somebody just had all the matches, had to pull all the dice out of the bowl. It, they just say it just creates so much fun. That game from Robinsberger is just, it's just a hit no matter who plays it, young or old, gamer, non-gamer. So good. But anyway, I just love having all them come over and experience all these games. And I'm hoping their next game is going to be one of your favorite Cosmic Encounter. All right. We all know that Donna is a lover of Carcassonne here at the house. And so one of our listeners suggested that I give a shot to Carcassonne Hunters and Gatherers. I believe that's what it was called. I got the box over there, but I can't read it. It's too far away and I don't have my glasses on, but that's all right. Anyway, so Miniature Market, proud sponsor of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, had a sale recently, and it was all, it was one of the games that was on sale. And I said, well, you know, one of our listeners suggested that I pick this up, that I take Donna to the next level with this game. That she said uh, that maybe 
You know, she doesn't want to do the expansions or anything like this. So this is just not, it's not an expansion, but it takes some of the parts of Carcassonne and makes it pretty easy to understand, like putting your um, farmers out in the field, but actually you'll be a hunter in the field. So Marty, I got this game recently. And matter of fact, it showed up. It took a while because of all the inventory issues that uh, uh, miniature markers having to do as they move their, their offices. But it shows up the day that we have some friends over who love Carcassonne just as much as she does. So I said, okay, well, this will be perfect. I'll be able to read the rules and get this done for them and be ready to explain it because it's not that hard. It's pretty much the same principles. So I get this out on the table and, you know, I'm going over the various things. And one of the neat things about this is that when you complete a forest, which is like completing a city, if it has a stone temple in it, you get to take another turn by adding a special tile to it. So we're playing along and, and you know how I get grumpy in a game, Marty? No, you? What? what? Oh, wow. Never saw that coming. I know. Well, so I'm looking across the table and I go, hmm, that's what Marty has to deal with. <laughs> It did not go well, but she did say she would play it again. I mean, she got beat pretty badly in it. And it was one of those things where I think it was poor tile pulls that she got. But yeah, there it's a different strategy. And so we're going to give it again uh, another shot. But I appreciate our listeners shouting out and say, give this a try. And we did. And we're going to have to try it again. While I was at Origins, I got to see a lot of games that were being previewed from Danny from... I shut board games. Now, one of those games was a little party game called Oh Really. And this is one that really stuck out to me because I thought, for a party game, this, this is such a good game for non-gamers and gamers alike. I played this with my family, uh, me, Vanessa, my mom and dad. And you have these five topics uh, that go out on the table. And each of you have cards, one through five. Everybody is going to rank those cards from how you think a person is going to rank those favorite to least favorite. So if it's my turn, I'm going to look at those cards and think, what's my least favorite? What's my most favorite? And rank those from one to five and put them down face, those cards face down. Then everybody does the same. And then we go around and we reveal. I show number five and then we flip everybody else's cards. Hey, if they guess number five, they get a point. So the goal is, is try to match as close as you can to the person with the goal of scoring victory points. But what's so fun about the game is it really creates these really cool discussions of like, oh, I didn't know you liked that, or why don't you like that sort of deal? Now, I, I will say this, Tony, there are some risque cards in there that I didn't realize. Like when I flipped over five cards, one of them was penis. So I uh, <laughs> quickly pulled that off the table and Vanessa was like, did that say what I thought it said? I went, yeah, we're just going to. Oh, really? We'll skip that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll move, because that's not something I want to be asking my parents, but where do they rank that in a, in a category of five? <laughs> How so, old are you? How old are you? Come well, on. I'm just saying, look, I, it's with my parents. I, I don't want to say, if you got kids, be wary of some of the cards uh, that are in there. But what's cool, though, Tony, is like Vanessa and I, I think we never missed one. Like she always ranked mine five right. I always got hers five right. So the person that you're married to, you know pretty well, you're probably going to do really well on. But this one, this is all to give to you and uh, Donna and let y'all play with y'all's game group. Periodically, we get uh, mail in our mailbag here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names. At RollDiceTakeNames at gmail.com. We received one recently from, and I hope he's okay, but Jerome sent us an email and he wanted to point out that he appreciated the fact that my wife, Donna, has just recommended Carcassonne because he knows 
based on listening to us for many, many years, and thank you so much for doing that, sir, that if Donald likes a game, then it's a good chance that his wife might like that game. So he went out and got Carcassonne. I've already talked about this game and how much my wife loves it. And he got to try his wife the opportunity, or gave his wife, I'm saying this completely poorly, Marty. He got his wife to play the game. She loved it. Absolutely loved it. Now, nice. I, I know I need to apologize to him because she is beating the socks off of him every time. Isn't that the way it is, though? We introduce people to these games, Marty, and they, they beat us. Like you're always playing with Nate from our game group. Exactly. And then now there's trash talking going on. I will say this. We are not responsible for any hurt feelings, divorces, <laughs> arrest, or anything like that that may occur between spouses because of bragging rights or trash talking that occurs at the table. So Jerome, we really do appreciate you reaching out to us and letting us know. And if anybody else has a, a story like this, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to know that we're making a difference. We'd love to um, understand that. A positive difference. Uh, true, a positive difference. I, I mean, I dig the discord. We got on a discussion on mushrooms in our lawn mowing group, and it's not about which ones to eat, but what's going on in your yard. That's just, I just love this stuff. It makes, it makes me happy. So anyway, thanks again, Jerome, for doing that. We really do appreciate you letting us know. Tony, while we're at Gen Con, Connor from Inside Up Games said, hey, guys, uh, you like rolling rights. Tony, you especially like rolling rights. I want to show you this uh, one we have coming out on Kickstarter called Draft and Write Games. And I thought, wow, how about Draft and Write Records? I thought, okay, that sounds kind of cool. He said, yep, it's a music game. And I thought, okay, I'm in. So we went and sat down at a table, and he was showing us how to play. And Tony, this this is a really – I'm not big into rolling rights. I mean, like 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 you are. But I thought this was really cool. The idea is you're, you're trying to build a band, and you have to draft a lead singer, a couple musicians, some production people, et cetera. And each round, you're drafting cards, and those cards are used to fill out spots in your band – and then also on the sheet that you're filling out, you're able to go on a tour and you go to different venues to get more money. And that money can be used to spend for other things. Lots of times roller rights thematically don't work very well for me, but I thought thematically this was pretty cool. I agree with you, Marty. I was one of those that I was like, okay, this is kind of neat how he's tying it all in as you were flipping and trying to use these cards. And I was like, okay, I'm building a band and certain things need to click together to get my points. And whenever I do a flipping right or a rolling lot right, I always look for the combos that occur and see how well that they can sync up, how easy they are to follow. So I think what Connor's got here is going to be a pretty big hit on his hands. You know, I say that with hesitation because I don't want to jinx him, mm -hmm. but I, I enjoyed playing it. But once again, it's one of those where I'm passing cards to one another and, you know, is doing the draw. And I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. I like how this works. What I like about that is different from like Welcome To, where you flip over one card that everybody yeah. uses. Here, you're drafting the cards to decide what to use on your turn. So that, that little difference right there is really cool. So this is going to be coming to Kickstarter very soon. It plays two to six players, about 30 to 60 minutes, draft and write records. Uh, I know I'm going to want a copy of this for theme the drafting mechanic, and just the really cool combos you can make with this game. So while at Gen Con, we were pulled aside and a certain game was teased to us by a friend of ours over at Ravensburger and said, hey, we got something that I think you're going to enjoy. And Marty and I go, we're like, do tell. She says, no, nope, just wait. Just be patient, guys. 
but you're going to like it. And regardless of theme, she knows this pretty well because it is a collectible card game, a trading card game. So we know, you know, we're in regardless, but it's based on Disney. So Marty, what was your first impression of this? So this game called Disney Lorcana was uh, introduced at D23, Disney's big event for revealing a bunch of stuff. And it's a game that's coming next year. All they've done is really shown some of the cards and some of the art. No idea of the rules. So we see numbers on the cards. We see some symbols. We don't know how it plays, but the idea is this is going to be a CCG game, which I'm kind of surprised at, Tony. Mm -hmm. Getting into the collectible card market is tough now to break into. Now, Robinsburg is a big company. Disney is a big IP. So these two really may work well together. So they're just showing a lot of different, right now the character, the cards they've shown are like, for example, they have uh, Cruella DeVille, Robin Hood, Stitch, uh, Elsa, Captain Hook. So a lot of classic Disney characters. And the idea, I guess, is you're going to build a deck and compete against each other. Again, no idea what the rules are for this game, but they've already kind of introduced a lot of the card art and everything. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I am too. And now some of the questions, of course, you know, Disney's got Marvel. Why would you not do Marvel here? Why go to Disney? Why, why use the prince and princess? You know, use that. And I think a lot of it is if you're dealing with the Marvel, and this is just my opinion, you're dealing with that same crowd that's already entrenched in games like Magic. Maybe. Here you can pull in the dads and moms and get their kids to play. And the kids. Yeah. So we talked about this on our Discord channel. A lot of them are excited because they said to them, it's kind of like Pokemon. It's like, hey, that's how I got my kids into to magic was through Pokemon. So this is a way to get the kids into it. A very family friendly, friendly version of Disney characters. Tony, I don't think there's no reason why in the future they couldn't do Star Wars or Marvel characters, because Disney owns those too. Yeah, but then they'd go into the Villainous franchise. That's fine. They have Cruella DeVille, who's also in the Villainous franchise That's here. That's true. I know. Fine. I guess Robinsberger knows what they're doing. I mean, if they want our opinion, they'll come to us. That, that's right. So I'm very curious to see where this goes. Disney Larkana, usually I'm very skeptical, skeptical of new CCGs, but with these two big names, maybe they can pull it off. Tony, have you been watching Ignacy's Essen preview videos? I most certainly have. I wanted to hear what the man had to say. He's got a lot of stuff. He's got Empires of the North, Wrath of the Lighthouse, which is a solo game for Empires of the North. He's got Basilica, which is the two-player abstract game that you got to play, mm -hmm. which I am super excited about. Eleven, which was the big Kickstarter that uh, focuses on football, as what they say over in Europe, or soccer here. And I'm very interested in that. I'm also I'm always interested in like sports themes games, especially ones that's like your manager, et cetera, like that. So he's got a lot of big games coming out at Essen. And why are they not here? That's what I want to know. Oh, and I forgot, Nurashima Hex Pirates, mm -hmm. the new expansion which we're excited about. So he has all these Essen preview videos over on his YouTube channel. So make sure to go subscribe to that, Portal Games, over on YouTube so you can see all these previews. And what was the big game at Gen Con that he released that is on the ship and should be here sometime in October? Uh, that would be Brazil, and I'm still waiting. Mm -hmm. Still waiting to get a copy so that uh, we can play and do a full review of that. Uh, both of you got to play it. Both you and I got to play it, but I want to do a good deep dive into that game because that's one of those I play it and go, all right, I need to play again. Play again, play again. Uh, I'm excited for that one to come as well. And then, of course, you always go back to some of the classics. His Detective Series, Robinson, they're all out there for you. And then some year, we're going to play Stronghold Undead. He's got to teach us first. 
Um, that you know when he signed my games when he was here. Yeah, he made a comment like that on my game box. What did he say? I don't want to quote the man right now. I, I'd get it <laughs> oh. wrong. So, so we'll just leave it at that. But be sure to go check it out over at. What, what's that URL again? It's Portal PortalGamesUS.com. PortalGamesUS.com. You'd think I know that after so many years. PortalGamesUS.com. Tony, we're super excited for each of our episodes now to have a feature that's sponsored by Game Toppers. And we're going to call this On the Topper. This is a game that maybe we're going to play on our Game Topper. Okay, so first off, I saw the emails flying around about naming this segment, and I was like, oh my head. I didn't get a chance to, you know, because I don't get to respond to emails. Talk to me. We could change it on the fly right now. Well, I was sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, on the topper? Well, I mean, it's kind of like on the tap, you know? What's on tap? Or So uh-huh. I was like, well, what's, on, what's on the topper? You know, that would kind of tie into what's on tap tonight. So what's on the topper? And I'm like, instead of on the topper, or better yet, I was thinking, well, why don't you just call it the game that was contained inside this amazing accessory that makes any game table a game table that keeps all your stuff together, and it would be right in sync with everything else, rolling dice and taking names, where everything is way too long to introduce anything like our name or our whatever else we've got out there that's way too long. So I, I thought that could work, but... That's true. Maybe you should put up a poll question and ask uh, what the name of this segment should be. But I think it's important everybody understand there's only like a couple weeks left. They got, he's got a big sales and savings going on right now at Game Toppers LLC. Uh, they have, you know, the, the Watson, the Sherlock Holmes, the Mycroft Toppers. Uh, this is coming off their Kickstarter uh, where 25 goals were unlocked. Fulfillment will begin in early October. So got a couple weeks left to get your orders in for the Game Topper. And Tony, you're going to need a big Game Topper to play the game that uh, we just played, Twilight Inscription from FFG. If Berkey were to produce a 10 by 12 foot rug <laughs> topper, you know, like a mat, a, a regular, yeah. that's what you need. You need a floor topper for this thing. This is the game that was hot at Gen Con. They had limited uh, numbers available each day. They were sold over at Miniature Market. The game is designed by James Niffen, and I had a chance to demo this game, and actually James is the one that ran the demo. So Tony, at Mega Moose Con, I said, all right, guys, let's play Twilight Inscription, which is supposed to be a two-hour roll-and-write version of Twilight Imperium. And we sat with the table of, how many was there? Was it five or six? six. We had six on the table. And it plays up to eight. Uh, players so we're all sitting around learning how to play the game and tony i have to admit and i hope you agree their learn to play guide in this game was one of the best i've ever seen for a game this complex oh yeah it was it was probably the video was great i wish they could cut down some of the background music but that's okay but yes it was an incredible guide incredible teach you did an amazing job well done sir well, all I did was actually read this guide. And actually, when I got the demo, I told James, I said, man, you did an amazing job of the demo. He said, it's this guide. Literally, it's it's what you do is the, the game is driven by an event deck that you play over the course of like five ages, five eras, whatever they're calling them. With the learn to play guide, it presets the first four or five cards in the event deck. And then what it does, it says, okay, flip over the first card. 
explains what the first card means and it says, okay, let's go see how to use it on this page because there's four different large sheets that each player has that they're going to do their markings on in this roll and write. One is for navigation, one is for industry, one is for warfare, and one is for, I really should have looked this up. Four sheets, four big freaking sheets with unique Four pencils. big freaking sheets. And what it does, it says, okay, in step one, flip over this card. We're going to all learn how to do navigation together. And it talks about the icons that are on the dice and how those icons are used on the navigation sheet to open up paths to different areas of space. And then you can claim certain areas depending on certain dice. And then it says, okay, great. Flip over the next card. You flip over the next one. It says, all right, let's go over to this next sheet and see what we can do with that. Hey, you know those planets we discovered before? Now we can unlock those planets on this sheet, use the icons on the dice to generate some additional resources and unlock some other icons. Hey, flip over the next card. You go to the next sheet, do it. Go to the next sheet, do warfare. And then it says, okay, now just play the game. And I think it worked super well because after we went through those first four cards, we had a pretty good grasp of how to play the game. Yeah, we understood how the game would work, what it would do. And then when certain new cards came up, you explained them so that we could do that. So it wasn't a game where it's like, go out and beat somebody. And I'm going to use that as my excuse why I performed so poorly because I was learning the game. Someone who plays a lot of roller rights, which is what I do with uh, Donna. Yep. Donna and I play a lot, play every week a rolling right. You get set in your mind how things need to work. Mm -hmm. And with this game, you can't do that. This isn't the same way that you would, like we just talked about with Connor's new game, you're looking for those combos. The minute a combo happens, you're used to immediately marking something. In this game, that can happen or it may not happen. Depends on what you do. And I'm thinking that that was tripping me up. I'm, I'm serious because I was, I was sitting there confusing myself. Also, I think people need to really concentrate on what the various technologies do on each of the four cards and understand. Amen. How yeah. Amen. Because, well, after, okay, so after we play the game, you go back and look and say, okay, how could I play better? One is each of the sheets, navigation, expansion, industry, and warfare, each of them have two technologies that you can unlock uh, either by a certain number of the research dice icons that may pop up when you're rolled or on the strategy card, which I'll explain in a second, or each of them can be unlocked with an, a certain special asset that could be unlocked on maybe a certain sheet. <laughs> and then you can use that special asset to just fully unlock a technology on, on any of the sheets. So learning those technologies and also opening up faction dice, because how this works is when you flip over a strategy card at the bottom, it'll tell you, here's the icons that you have to use. You must first pick an active sheet. I thought this was kind of cool. You just can't mark on any sheet. You have to pick one and that's who you're going to use that entire turn. So you mark a couple of the icons that are on the card on that sheet. Then you roll the dice. There's three generic dice that everybody gets to use, but then there's three colored dice that you might be able to use if you've unlocked them to be used on that particular sheet. Right. And this comes in where I'm saying like you unlocked using blue dice on one sheet. Now you may, when you activate that new sheet on a future turn, you can then say, I'm going to use the blue die or I will use right. the red die. And I think this is the one little issue I had. You've got to remember what you've got active on the four sheets that are full of icons. 
And there are a lot of different icons. Now, I will say the reference card that's given to you for your assets yes. does a pretty good job of explaining them. But what's you got to keep up with, some assets are obtained immediately. If an asset has a dotted line around it, it means you claim it, use it then. But then there's some with a dashed line. It's like it's available to use either now at some future turn. Those are the ones I will forget that were available to right. me. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm used to in Roll and Write is I immediately get to do it. So let's say I unlock this certain resource on navigation. I can then, since it's a resource, I can now use it on another sheet right then. Done. But if it was a planet, I would need to make sure to remember that the planet would unlock it on this other sheet. Now, one of the things I enjoyed about this was the fact that it used the same mechanics of other roll and rights. What you mean? For instance, if you complete a row or you complete a column, you would open up this, you would get this bonus. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the, the mechanics were the same using standard roll and write or drawing lines. Like when you're in warfare, drawing a various line to indicate this is a type of ship to, right. to, to engage in a node. And Marty's going to go over some rules about voting and warfare. To me, it was a standard roll and write. To me. But on steroids, right? There's no. a lot of stuff. No? No. There, each four, but don't, don't no. you feel that each of the four sheets act differently? No, I don't. I don't. Each of the four sheets allowed me to mark other things on other sheets. So it didn't really matter. It didn't, I didn't feel like they acted differently. Yeah, there was warfare. Okay, there was some voting, but these are driving by the event cards. All the sheets acted the same way. You roll mm. dice, you mark stuff on the sheet, move on. It's a standard roll and write. So, and I, fine. I mean, people can yell down at me, oh, this is complicated. No, it's not. It is not complicated. I did. You didn't ever play Hadrian's Wall. Yes, did I you? did. Okay. How do you think it compares to that? If you I can remember, don't remember. It's been so long. Uh, yeah, it's been so long since I played. I remember I really enjoyed Hadrian's Wall. This is a longer game than Hadrian's Wall, but I remember I enjoyed my time with Hadrian's Wall, and I enjoyed my time with this one too. I mm -hmm. thought it was enough complexity to keep it interesting, but those event cards. So most of the cards are those strategy cards where you're going to get to use resources and roll the dice and mark stuff off. But every other card could be one of three different types. One was a simple one's production, which says, hey, for every production unit that you have accessed on this one particular sheet, you create a trade good. A trade good is basically a wild card. You can use that as a wild die at any time. So that's a very simple event to do. And one thing, the way you get that is by completing a row or a column. Uh, yes. yes. In this, in this case, it's, it's a column. I'm okay. looking at the sheet yeah, right now. Right. It's columns that give you the, the in, included trade goods. We didn't mention this. The whole goal is victory points. Oh. And there's, there are victory points all over these sheets, right? You complete rows, you complete columns, you complete this, unlock this victory point, unlock this victory point. I like every sheet has some way to generate victory points. And I think that's what we learned too, is you can't focus on all four sheets. Like Nate it totally neglected the warfare sheets. Like, I'm not going to do it. And still did incredibly well on the game. Mm -hmm. But on every sheet, it was along the same lines of how do you manage those combos? And for him, that's what he did. He was able to do certain combinations so that when he did one action, which is typical rolling rights, it gave him the ability to do other things. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things when you go to sit down to play this game, and I guess what I'm stressing is, 
I don't want people to get turned away from it because all oh, this is complex. It is not. Yeah. It is not a complex game. We'll talk about um, the voting here in a little bit, but there's also objectives. The first to complete this gets these. We just played Guilds of the um, uh, Merchant Explorers. Same thing. Yeah. If you complete these various objectives, you got victory points. So every sheet has a random objective that's set at the beginning of the game. First person to get that objective gets the most points. Then everybody else can claim it for a little bit less points. Mm -hmm. So then every sheet has little goals that you drive. Everybody has an own faction card. At the beginning of the game, you get two faction cards. You pick which one you want to keep. One has an ongoing ability. And then one has a faction ability that when you unlock that icon and use it, you can use your faction ability. Role player. There's two other special types of cards. One is the voting. I thought this was one of the most interesting to me. You flip over a card and you have a decision to make. There's a situation that's given to you. You either want this to pass or fail. On this one sheet, on the industry sheet, you have votes that you can get. As you play through the game, you can unlock additional votes to give you more votes. And then each person is going to decide, I'm going to allocate X amount of my votes to either pass or fail. This is where there's some discussion at the table. Hey, do we want this to pass? Do we want this to fail? Usually split up into two groups. How many votes are you going to dedicate to this? Because once you use a vote, it's gone. And, and then you have to recreate more votes to use in later votes. So then everybody secretly votes. And then you determine, did it pass or fail? And then you take the action of that card. Did you like that part? That was one of the ways we interacted with each other. Because to be honest with you, the strategy cards of just filling out stuff on your sheet is very solitaire. Yeah, well, that's how they introduce interaction in this game to try to mimic the interaction of Twilight Imperium. Because mm -hmm. other than that, you're right. If they don't do this or they don't introduce the warfare, which is simply comparing who has the most strength between the player to your left and the player to the right. And if you are b better than them, you get a special bonuses. If you lose a war, you get a negative victory point. And that's warfare in a nutshell. Yeah. So this is them promoting providing you interaction to try to help mimic Twilight Imperium. Did yep. I like it? I like the, the choices from having to do this. And I think that it's one of those things that, which we saw, someone could dominate the game if they're going down that way of casting multiple votes. Because anytime this comes up, you get so many votes that you may collect on your sh sheet. And that's one. If you've things. unlocked them, if you've unlocked them, which how yeah. do you unlock them? Oh, you unlock them by completing a row or a column in the sheet above them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not being negative to the game. No, it's, it's a rolling, right? It's what it is. So you mentioned the other thing, the warfare. So there's four sectors on your warfare sheet and you can spend resource icons to basically create ships but ships are just shapes that you're drawing on this grid. And each intersection on this grid is a node. For every node you have covered in a sector, adds plus one to your strength. And your sheet is split into left and right. So you add up all the nodes on the left, compare them to the person to your left, and the one add up the nodes on your right, compare it to the strength of the person on the right. Like Tony said, whoever wins, they get a bonus. Otherwise, you lose a negative uh, victory point. And then you have to draw ships in the next sector because that in the next time you have a warfare, that's where you determine the strength of those. Once you've used a ship in a sector, you'll never use that ship again, right. sort of deal. You'll never reevaluate that sector again. So that's also to introduce some player interaction. Right. And one of the things about the warfare is it's very Tetrisy because there are areas where you cannot interact or place your ship, draw your little ship because there's holes in it. Where does that come in? There's a game called Bricks. 
There you go. So if you're familiar with these games, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but I'm familiar with them. I got to see all these various roll and rights go there, go into Mm -hmm. this game, circling all the way back. The word is not complex. It's challenging. This game for a roll and write is challenging to remember what you've all activated and how it all plays and to keep track of where you want to strategize, to yeah. synergize. Because even the books, even the demo said you may only want to work on just two sheets and see how those points are. You can't do it all unless maybe the roles are really good. And then you also got to play enough to realize, oh, I want to use this ability on this sheet over here, but I need this icon to do that, which is actually from this other sheet Mm -hmm. and learn how the sheets interact with each other. The easiest one is the navigation. If you get to a planet, you can then use that planet to unlock a planet on the expansion sheet in order to have access to those resources. So it's knowing, oh, I want this on this sheet to do that. I need to mark this over here on this other sheet. Mm -hmm. So like you said, it's learning this and strategizing. So I was wanting to get people at the table to play who knew Twilight Imperium pretty well. That was Nate for us. I've played once, so I really couldn't compare. So after the game was over, I said, Nate, is this Twilight Imperium and a two-hour game rolling right? He said, no, no, it is not. He said it is in the same universe. Yes, they're mimicking a 4X game, mimicking the 4Xs. But he said it's not the same feeling as Twilight Imperium. He didn't say that as a negative. He just said it's not analogous to the full board game. I was thinking about this today. If you like Twilight Imperium and you like Roland Wrights, I think you should give this a shot. If you like Roland Wrights but know nothing about Twilight Imperium like me, I think you should give it a shot because I enjoyed it. If you like Twilight Imperium and don't like Roland Wrights, try it before you buy it. Because it's not going to be the same feeling as Twilight Imperium. And if you don't like Twilight Imperium, you don't like Roland Wright, don't buy it. Wow. That's, that's that's my recommendation. That's an or logic gate right there, big boy. <laughs> I mean, does that sound reasonable? Well, yeah, it sounds reasonable. I mean, if you don't like it, don't do it. But so well, no, no, I'm saying I'm saying comparing of yeah. Twilight Imperium fans and Roland Wright fans. Mm-hmm. So most Roland Wright fans are not going to play a two hour Roland Wright, in my opinion. Ah. Because the value of a roll and write is a short game. Mm-hmm. I think it is for those who are looking for, I'm, I'm tired of doing the small, quick knock malls, the twice mm. as clever, so clever, three times clever, um, you know, no siesta, all those roll and rights that are out there. I want to take it to the next level. I do want to have a game night where people are sitting around the table interacting, but not have that, tension of a, a big old Ameritrash a, a game or a, ga- a game where there's a heavy interaction, but th- they have a chance to sit back and just kind of be in their own zone and then branch out periodically, you know, or, yeah, or, or if, let me say this or laying on the floor because you're going to need a 10 by 12 rug. Yeah. Well, if you play with eight people, you better have a big freaking table. Yeah. You're going to be, th- th- these are big sheets. Now, what I like about it is, it played in two hours. It took us a little more two hours because it's the first game. But you're constantly doing something. You're not waiting on mm-hmm. anybody else. So it moves. Even though it took it, the time flew because you were constantly writing something and doing something. I really appreciate well, that. Well, uh, my favorite rule was once you're done, put your table, put your pen on the table. 
So people know you're done because you can, just like any rolling right, when those combos start flying, woo, you may just, you know, where I didn't have the combos, I could put my pen down immediately and then I had to go wait on Nate. Yep. Because he was, he was marking everything. Now, there's a lot of variability in this. The sheets are double-sided. There's one where all the sides are the same. There's one where the sides are different. Everybody can get different faction cards. Uh, the event cards may come out differently. The objection, uh, objection, objective cards uh, will be different probably every single game. So there is some variability uh, in the game. Now, I will say that I will never, ever play this at my house. Ever. Oh, with Donna? No. But this is one of those things that uh, you weren't making game night this week. If it had been just the three of us, I was thinking about, hey, y'all want to play this? I'd play this again. Oh, yeah. I'd play it with you anytime. I think it, I think it's a good game. I enjoyed my time playing this game. I really did. I, I It's like a puzzle. It is a challenging puzzle. Mm-hmm. And, and so we just talked about in the last episode, Paper Dungeons, right? Yes. And how much we enjoyed that. And it was a quick roll and write where there was no interaction except when you would take the gems from someone. This takes this up to the next level. So uh, what do you feel like, if you want to do a roll and write, what do you feel like playing? And I think yep. that's, that's where this is. If you like Hadrian's Wall, 100% try this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it is on that complexity, but even, uh, even more. So yeah, uh, looking back on it, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm really anxious to play again. My, my wife will never play it. This is not something Vanessa will ever play either. No, I, I enjoy my time with it. I think they could add expansions, right? Change the event deck, change the factions, uh, add some, you know, new cards. The, n- n- yeah, exactly. I honestly hope that I'm being serious. I hope they provide some new pens because those are chalk markers. They're different. And I've even read that. Yeah, these are going to be a little more expensive and harder to find because mm-hmm. they're orange chalk markers. So I hope they eventually provide a way to, Get some more of those because if you leave the cap off, they dry and they done. Mm-hmm. And you got to be very careful with getting that chalk all over the table. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. We made I a mess all over a white table. I made a horrible mess. Luckily, with some some wet paper towels, it came up. All right, y'all. Twilight Inscription. It might be for you. It might not. Personally, I enjoyed it. Tony is a big Rolling Right fan. Um, also enjoyed it. So it's out now. If you want to, go check it out at Miniature Market. Three days later. I wanted to add something here. We recorded this segment a couple days ago, and since then I've had a chance to play a two-player game of Twilight Inscription. So I want to give my thoughts on that, plus some additional things that kind of came up while we were playing the game. First, with solo and two-player, you have to use an AI component of the game. So the concept is there's an AI player sitting between two players that you attack during battles. So each of you will attack the AI player, then uh, each other. With every roll, you look at the three colored dice and mark off different symbols in the AI card, whichever the course of the game will give them strength during warfare events, give them votes during council events. If enough symbols are marked off, it could give them the in-game objectives. So all that is pretty streamlined and works pretty well. However, Bert and I, who I play with, kind of decided, okay, we feel that the really sweet spot for this game is probably four to six. Three would be good because you don't have to use any special rules, but having more at the table, especially for the council events, would be good. And eight is fine, but we were actually thinking you got to have a pretty big table in order to get eight players at the table. We played with six and had a pretty big round table to be able to play on it. But after another play of this game, I will say I still thoroughly enjoy this game. And the more I play, 
the more I see, okay, it's all about really setting up these combos that you use in future turns. But like Tony just previously mentioned, the thing about this game is remembering that there are assets, special assets available to you that you can use in future turns. As he was saying, as the roll and write expert, he said, you know, typically when you unlock something, you immediately use it. Where with Twilight Inscription, there are some assets that once you unlock, you immediately use them, but some you just sit on until you're ready to use them in a future turn. Towards the end of the game, when you've done a lot of marking on your sheets, you might forget that you have some special assets that you can use. So you're constantly scanning over your four sheets, looking for those assets that you have yet to use that you can unlock on future sheets, such as unlocking technologies, unlocking faction dice, etc. So if you play this game, I do recommend to constantly keep an eye on everything because by using those special assets, you can chain together these really satisfying combos. We also played with the unique side of the sheets. In our first game, everybody played with, with the B side where everybody's sheets are exactly the same. But when you've played to the A side, Every sheet is a tad different. So the navigation map is a tad different, the industry map, et cetera, all just built up a little bit differently. After the game ended, we realized, oh, we should have really examined the sheets that we had because they could guide you in a certain direction that you want to play in the game to try to get a lot of victory points because of how that particular sheet is configured. Because we also determined the way to play this game is to have like a primary sheet you focus on plus two secondary and then use the fourth to maybe unlock things that would be useful in those other three sheets. I tried a strategy where I tried to focus on two sheets and it did not go well at all. Bert did the three sheet strategy and it worked really, really well. Again, we kind of decided you can't ignore one entirely because there's typically something on there that might be some easy victory points or a special asset that might be useful to use on one of the other sheets that you're focusing on. Oh, and also our two player game only took 70 minutes. We had both played before, so we just sat down, started playing, and it flew by. That is one nice thing about this game. If people know how to play and there's not a lot of AP, it should move pretty quickly because with every turn of event card, everybody's simultaneously taking actions. The only thing is, like I said, towards the end of the game, you're trying to decide which sheet to activate and then what are the best combos to make. Once again, when I was done, I was ready to play again. I think this is just a really good, heavy, roll and write game Coming from a person who is not a huge Roll and Write fan. In fact, we said maybe we'll try to set to play this game up with a lot of people at our Bubacue event that comes in October. Can't wait. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. One of my favorite designers is Corey Kaniska. Tony, I loved him at FFG. I love the games he makes from there. Now he's out on his own with Unexpected Games. We've tried all of his games so far. The Initiative, which we really enjoyed. Nice little puzzle game. Voices in my head. And now is brand new in 3,000 Scoundrels. And it's called 3,000 Scoundrels is because this really clever card crafting system reminds me of Mystic Veil, Tony. Mm -hmm. You got a clear card. You got a solid card. You put them together. And guess what? There are 3,000 combinations in this Western-themed game where you're trying to hire scoundrels in order to collect technology that a mysterious person has left in the West. And the person with the most technology wins at the end of the game. It's not most technology, it's the value of the technology. So most victory points or reputation there you go. wins. So yes, this game plays incredibly quick. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those where you are doing a little engine building. You are trying to get 
scoundrels out there that when you play a card to your table to take an action, other things will get to happen. Now, there's very special things about these. These cards at the bottom are basically a deck of cards. You've got an ace, a two, a three, a four, a five, a six, and a zero. Yep. And when you play those, if you put the four in the four slot, which no one knows what it is or not. It's face down. It's face That's down. Why you play it face down. Face uh-huh. down. You'll get four coins. Oh, yeah. Money's good. Money's good because you can hire a scoundrel. All right. Mm-hmm. So we, after you've done that action, you, you do what you need to do. Hire a scoundrel or go to the jail and get one of your henchmen back out of the jail. Next, the sheriff. The sheriff. Sorry. Yeah. Go to the sheriff. Get one of your henchmen. Next person goes. Now, this is where that comes in where McCree goes, wait, what? Social deduction? Yeah. There's some bluffing here. Y'all remember earlier in the episode, we talked about bluffing and Tony was a big fan of bluffing. There is some bluffing here because the card you put face down. Like in that four slot to get three, uh, four dollars, or the three slot to get three bucks, or in the five slot to steal a safe, which is told the gold, Tony. Mm-hmm. Stealing safes that has the technology in it, that's what you want to do off the board. Or the A and two slot in order to say, hey, take a peek at what those saves are. You could play any card there. Mm-hmm. And if I play a four and get four dollars, Tony, you could take one of your henchmen and put it on that card going, yeah, a dude. I don't think that's a four. No, I don't. I, I know what you played last time. I remember what you did. So there's your bluffing. Now, this wasn't as bad as when we talked about Durian. I, I kind of enjoyed the the camaraderie we had going on here, the trash talking, the forcing, you know, kind of saying, oh, I don't think you're doing that just to see if we could read each other. So think of it just like playing poker, trying to read one another in this yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. And what happens is, is that you're going to play four cards over the course of one day. And at the end of the day, everybody has to flip over the cards they played that has a henchman on it to see, was that person bluffing or not? If they were bluffing, then that person loses a reputation point And the person who caught you gains a reputation point. Reputation points are good because they're basically technology points or victory points at the end of the game. If they didn't catch you bluffing, their henchman has to go to jail, which they could retrieve uh, uh, later on. Mm-hmm. So you play over basically two days. And after two days, the person with most uh, victory points wins. But Tony, the clever thing about the game is the card crafting. Because you're mixing uh, these traits and scoundrels together, and you're mixing a timing keyword with the trait. And the timing keyword, most of them are, hey, when you play a, a card in this slot, a two, a three, or a four, also activate the ability of this scoundrel. And that's where the, the engine building comes in. I'm going to play a card on this four. Awesome. I get $4. This scoundrel says, hey, if you play a card on the four, you get to go maybe get one of your henchmen out of jail. Sweet. Hey, this points down to another scoundrel that says, hey, if you played the card above me, I get to activate this ability. So you're trying to create these really cool combos to generate money, to peek at safes, to go grab safes, because you can only have one per number of days that you're playing, and then reveal those safes at the end, and the person with the most points wins. And there's the other part of bluffing, because you can look at a Uh, safe and say, I've looked at this, and this safe is worth Six points. The combo here has a six in it. So I'm going to put my six marker on it. Do you believe me? Because you can then go steal it. And if I was telling the truth, you get an additional reputation point from that. And it worked because there was this one location. Everybody put a seven on every safe. And there was only one seven. So everybody was kind of bluffing as, as to where the seven was. Now, overall, interesting with the Mystic Veil vale type cards, along with some of the interactions we were having. But for me, I didn't have the tension in this game that, you know, you would, you, I would want to get as you build up with the bluffing and things like that. So fun, interesting, 
I don't know if it was a home run for me, like uh, the initiative. I I love the initiative. Yeah. And so for me is I really like uh, engine building games. So I like seeing all these different combinations that come out. I was able to make some really sweet combos at the end because some of the later cards in the deck, the decks, as you play through the end of the game, they get the abilities changed to where they kind of match where you are in the game. And one of the final abilities was switching cards between scoundrels, which allowed me to switch a trigger to allow me to do an end of the my turn move to pay three bucks to get a reputation point, which gave me the victory points to come in first, but actually tied for first. And Bert, I mean, Nate beat me because he had more money than me. So I like it because it's light. It's easy to super easy to teach. It takes nothing to teach this game. It, it, it plays fast. Uh, we probably finished four player game, probably 45 minutes to, to an hour. So it, it's really quick. So a lot of variability in the game. If you like engine building games, a little bit of bluffing, I think you should check out 3,000 Scoundrels from Unexpected Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. This year is the 70th anniversary of Ultra Pro. The what? The 70th? 70th anniversary of Ultra Pro. I didn't think I heard you right. 70. Yep, they started in 1952 making products for photographs. Eventually, they moved into the sports card sheets. I'm going to have to go check that, but keep talking. But I think that's the same year that the Queen took her reign. Yeah, 70th anniversary of Ultra Pro. So happy birthday. Happy anniversary. I'm not sure which. I guess it's not birth. I'm not sure. But I remember they, they were talking about, they had their timeline talking about some of the things that happened over the years. And in the 1989s, when they first introduced their sports card sheets that wouldn't yellow. And Tony, I distinctly remember that year. That was the year Upper Deck 1989 came out, which at the time was a huge baseball set. And we purposely bought the Ultra Pro sheets so they wouldn't yellow and crackle like some of the previous sheets we had. And those sheets are still uh, looking great today. And what's also cool, speaking about sports, I didn't realize this. They have licenses for the NFL, and the uh, NFL season just started. You can get replica helmets of all your favorite NFL teams. I didn't know they did this. This is really cool. So I'm going to go get me like a, a Panthers helmet or something like that. So if you're into sports, they got helmets, they got sports car collectors, and if you're into games, well, obviously, they got a lot of great accessories for storing card games and games, etc. So head over to ultrapro.com. Don't forget, if you order anything from them, use the code RDTN to get 5% off your order. Once in a while, there'll be a uniquely themed Euro I'm very interested in, and that's what Lacrimosa is for me from Devere Games. This is a game designed by Gerard Asensi and Ferran Renalius. For those who don't know, I took piano as a kid, and when you take classical piano, you got to play all these classical artists like Beethoven and... (laughs) 
<laughs> Chopin. I like how you're struggling here on coming up with Tchaikovsky. names. It's late. Leave me alone. Because I don't want to say the same for the last one, which is Mozart, which is what this game is based oh, on. And the idea of this game is Mozart died, right? He never got to finish his last piece. And his wife says, I want to finish this last piece. Hey, patrons or players of this game, would you help me finish the last piece of Mozart for me? And I thought the theme of the game just kind of really pulled me in with that. His Requiem. Finishes Requiem. Yes. Yes. Which, by the way, most people have heard his Requiem, and they don't realize it was in a commercial. Hold on. Hold on. It sounds like this. Thing, Tony, you and I grew up with Looney Tunes, so can we safely say all of our classical music comes from watching Looney Tunes as kids? A lot of it, yes. But I actually, when this movie, when the movie came out, um, Amadeus, it was when we were in high school, and I remember our, my friends. They, the poster of this has this weird-looking figure on it for the movie Amadeus, and it looks like a horror film. Mm, yeah. So I remember some friends of mine, they took their dates to go see Amadeus thinking they were taking them to a horror film. Oh, that's funny. I'm like, no, you fools. It was a a movie about Mozart, which was actually on the TV recently. And I I love that movie. I enjoy that movie. So yes, Requiem, Mozart. It's in a commercial about jeans. I believe that's where it was. Not $5 worthy. So anyway... First off, the production of this game is huge. Amazing. DeVere, man, they make some incredible games. The best thing is the player boards. Oh, my gosh. The player boards are like little song books that you open up, and they're dual-layered boards. Mm-hmm. So over the course of, of the round, you're playing these cards. You're playing two cards, and these are dual-purpose cards, which is one of Marty's favorite things. It is. He loves his dual-purpose cards. I do. And you put one card in the top, and it lets you go take an action on a board. And you put one on the bottom, which tells you the resources you're going to collect at the end of the round. That's it. Mm-hmm. So some of these actions will allow you to go out and purchase additional cards. This is the part I like. So you start out with nine cards. Mm-hmm. You will always have nine cards. One of the actions on the card is buy a new card. And there's a market at the top. They get more expensive from left to right. And you're going to buy a card, replace the card that you put in the bottom slot with the card that you bought and you take that other card out and it's out of the game. Mm-hmm. So your hand size or deck size is always nine cards. Yeah. So you've got to watch the resources when you do that on the card you're buying. Yeah. Cause you may mess yourself up. Mm-hmm. Another action is you can travel throughout Austria, Vienna that, and through that area, which will allow you to take, and I've, I've forgotten all the terms, but you you're visiting cities. Yes. And some of the cities are instant bonuses mm-hmm. and some of them are in game bonuses that if you achieve them, you get some extra points. But to move through those cities, uh, you have to spend what these call these story cubes. They have these story cubes on the board. You have three different colors, white, black, red. One of them is travel. So when you travel, you have to spend that uh, particular resource of that red cube in order to travel. And the further you travel, the more money it costs. So money's a currency in the game. So yeah, that's another one of the actions. Another action is you complete a masterpiece. You can buy a masterpiece where, you know, we were talking about buying cards on the top row. 
you can you can complete a masterpiece. What's interesting about this game, Tony, is the idea is that it's a reflection on Mozart's life. And as patrons, you're trying to convey to your, his wife, hey, remember years ago when I bought one of his pieces from him? And that's what that kind of represents. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, remember when we travel with Mozart through the city? And that's what the middle of the board is. So, yeah, you can buy one of his pieces. And then uh, with the future action, you can either perform that piece that you've purchased, uh, which will give you some additional money, some benefits, et cetera, or you can sell it, mm-hmm. which you can also usually is a little bit better. It gives you possibly some victory points and even more money, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then the final action is the one I completely misunderstood Marty in when we played it. And I'm sure he kept it secret for the second time he played so he could beat some uh, people. No, I did not. I thoroughly explained this bottom <laughs> section and got destroyed because everybody, oh, really? Go ahead. What's the bottom section? The bottom, you are completing the Requiem. The different movements of the Requiem. Well, yep. Yeah, you go, music boy. You're putting cubes on the board. Well, no, not they're not. Cubes, what they're round they're things. like little di- Well, they're discs. They're either eighth note or 16th notes, depending on which composer you are supporting. So what it oh, comes down to, it's, it's just, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm not doing technical stuff. It's area control. Yeah. So each section of the Requiem is basically area control. So when you take that action, you could take one of the discs off your player board and the disc are different types of instruments. Could be choral, strings, percussion. And then you cover that section of the the Requiem and you decide which composer on that section you're going to support. There's two composers. And then you have to pay a certain cost depending on which composer you did. But then that composer gives you an instant bonus and you put that little composer on your board. Mm-hmm. But the whole goal is is to have your disc supporting the composer with the most pieces in that movement. Yeah. And two composers are competing here. Yes. So you so you, yep. by the way, when we played, did you ever find that missing piece or did you not? So come to find out, the composers have different number of cards or or tokens. Not all of them have the same number. Yeah, so I know you were curious about that in one of our games. That did you leave one at home? So anyway, yeah. there's there's four different co- composers. So during setup, you're going to pick two. Adds a little bit of variability to the game. So as you go through, you you play. Um, was it five rounds? I can't remember. Yep, five rounds. Five rounds. Five. So every every round you play four cards, yep. and at the very end, you're going to have one extra card left over in your hand that can carry you over to the next round. And then during the cleanup phase of the round, you're going to pull all those cards out, shuffle them up and draw three cards so you always have a hand of four. But then those cards you play at the bottom, those reset your story cubes. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how you get those resources for the future because you lose all the cubes that you didn't uh, use, then reset them. But what's cool is over the course of the game, you can earn disc, colored disc, that represent those story cubes that you can carry over from turn to turn. And I'm going to correct you a little bit here, and I I want $5 because I got a miniature market order waiting to go. Sure. You shuffle the cards that you did play yes. and stick them on the bottom. You don't shuffle them into the whole deck, right? Weren't there additional cards? No, because you played eight cards. No, I'm sorry. I take back the five cards. I take back my $5. No. I'll, pay, I'll pay myself. No, no. You're thinking of 3,000 scoundrels where you put the four <laughs> cards you played on the bottom yeah, of the deck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. So all in all, this is pretty much a, a straight take actions to gain victory point game. There's set collection because the opuses that you get, there's different types of opuses. And if you happen to get the right 
in-game victory bonus card. And it says, hey, if you did these three types of opuses, you get some bonus points. Some of the in-game cards are, hey, if you got an opus from era two and era four, then you're going to get some X victory points. So the the opuses typically can give you some in-game victory points. But we found the biggest way to get victory points is by making sure that you've contributed pieces down to the bottom of the board to complete the Requiem. Because the second time I played Tony, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to get points other ways Mm -mm. and not focus as much on the Requiem. Y'all don't do that. The big points come from the area control, area majority of that Requiem piece. That is crucial. And I guess thematically that makes sense. What's the whole goal of the game? Complete his Requiem. All the other ways you can get victory points, just add on to that main way to get victory points. And I think the fourth movement had the most with six points. So for every disc that you had down there you're going to get a lot of points. So you're having to compete against each other to try to keep, okay, so Marty put a disc here for that composer, then then Bert did, then Mark did. So I need to get down there. So all of us may contribute to the same composer if we can. And that way we basically nullify the points. Yes. I will say this, that on the board itself, the actions you take are very generic. You're going to take a card. You're going to move a piece. You're going to get some bonus. There's a little bit of area control. The thing that I love the most is the action selection. Deck of nine cards, play two cards on your turn, multi-use cards, one for an action, one for the resources. And then it's kind of like deck building because the cards that you buy have much better actions than your starter cards. So you want to constantly be upgrading your actions because your original starting cards only have one action per card. Some of the cards you buy can have multiple actions per card. And, but you always have to be cognizant of your resources, and there is your hard choice. Do I want to take these actions when I really know that I want these resources for the next round? I did also like that when you travel, that if you don't visit some of the cities, their tile flips over and makes them more attractive. Mm, that keeps, mm-hmm. that makes things happening, but nothing is more irritating when someone takes a travel action before you and moves the piece farther away. Now, you just have to pay resources to get to the city but you only have to do, okay, I'm going to travel, but I've got to travel three cities away and there's costs to travel on these roads. Do you have those resources? So most victory points, hey, you're the winner. You've helped complete Mozart's Requiem. Congratulations. It's another worker play, not worker placements. It's a, an action selection game that, yeah, I'd enjoy playing this. Um, is it? Does it stand out against all the other ones out there? You know, I guess it does now because I remember it. Well, again, the actions that you take aren't that different from other games. The way you get victory points aren't that different. To me, it's just the really cool taking an action and setting up your resources for the next round and upgrading those cards. And the fact that you're always going to use eight of the nine cards every round. So you do have a little bit of control in knowing, I know I'm going to get to carry this one particular card over to the next round. And maybe it's the one that you want to make sure to start out the next round with. So you can do a little bit of uh, planning there. And I do like games that have mixing different mechanisms of deck building and area control all into one game. I think it merges them really well. And again, the theme, sure. Could the theme have been something else? I just thought a theme based around Mozart and classical music was unique and stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And people got to learn what an eighth and sixteenth note was. Nice. Except when I taught it the next night, they just kept saying, 
single dot, double dot, and it was really irritating to me. And that's fine. That's what I'm going to call them because that's all I know. <laughs> and I, I will say some of the graphic art on there was good except for the font because they use that cursive script and it's like, Oh, that's true. Yeah, the the movement names at the bottom of the board is like, I can't read that. So I agree with you. The action selection is the star of the game. I didn't care for the area control at the bottom. But well that's but that's kind of the whole goal. It's a it's a goal to get victory points. That's the whole goal then. I'm saying does it yeah, but does it break the game for me? If I don't like a part of it. Oh, I see. Okay. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like the fact that a lot of the victory points were in that one movement. I, I see what you're saying. Playing it the second time and making sure everybody understands how that movement part works, there was huge battles and there were mm-hmm. people blocking each other because people would look around the board and go, oh, I see that there's only one space left for the coral disc and you haven't used yours yet. So guess what? I'm going to use my coral disc and block you from ever. Block, I was blocked from ever from ever being able to use some of my discs because some of them were already covered by the time it got to me. And I, and I think if you get seasoned players, like let's let's play this a third, fourth, fifth time, mm-hmm. then yes, then it goes to the next level. It goes to an eleven. Okay, you need that little bit more. And especially the ability to block. I know I'm mixing spinal. Yeah, I know. But it will give you, you also have that. You were so close though. You were so close. close. But you also have the ability to put a nondescript single dot, double dot there. Oh, so what you can do is there's one of the cubes, like when, when I keep saying cubes, one of your discs that you put down in the movements, there's also always an extra action you get. One of them is it's taking a white disc that won't earn any victory points, but you can set it to a a 16th or an 8th note for whichever composer you want to try to win the majority in that one and try to influence using that discrete, indiscreet, not non-discrete disc. There it is. Right, but it also blocks other people. Yes, yeah, and that's true, and it blocks other people. And, and I think that's what you got to do with this game. Again, unique theme for me. Very cool card play mechanic. Everything else is kind of standard fare. If you know your know a lot of Euros, you know exactly how these actions will kind of work. Mm-hmm. We've seen tons of games where the market is cheap on one end, most expensive on the other, and then it slides as you buy. Mm-hmm. Nothing unique there. The moving Mozart through the city, nothing really unique there. Area control, kind of cool. That's a little bit different how you get your disc out there and mm-hmm. get some bonuses doing that. But um, easy and, to learn. I yeah. thought it was really easy to learn. Easy to learn. That's a big positive for this game. Very easy, easy to teach. So that is Lacrimosa from Devere. Hey, bring me some more musical themed games, y'all. I think that's just one genre. We hadn't, well, not one genre. That's one theme I just don't feel like we've tapped into enough. And I appreciate the idea of, uh, hey, trying to finish Mozart's Requiem. And with that, hey, why don't we use that as our bumper into our next segment? Like Mozart, it's come to an end for us here at Rolling Dice and Taking In. <laughs> but, but can we at least finish this? We don't, I don't want to die on the spot. It's like the unfinished episode 268. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just have it like stop. It's but it's a, like, oh, my wife's got to help somebody help finish this episode for They'd be us. like, no, I don't think so. That's not happening. <laughs> well, why? Why don't you even publish it? Let it sit there. Let Maybe somebody will discover it later. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Once again, going back to um, what was it we were doing? Uh, hey, if if click this to subscribe or link on this or follow this, da da da. Buy me a moon pie. Marty announced a special thing about where you'll have to commit me and get to enjoy my presence with you being grumpy. I mean, I think it's worth a hundred dollars to have have. I don't. I don't think you'll be grumpy doing this. I think you'll think. This oh, is I know fun. I will. I hate. I missed it. I had a conflict that night with the Datmers. Yep. And uh, so I think that'll be fun for us to do. So again, that's buymeamoonpie.com. You'll see details on this in that new grumpy uh, tier level out there. Join our Discord channel. We've had a lot of people starting to join our Discord channel. If we hit 500, we'll give away a $50 gift uh, card to Miniature Market. How close are we? About 60 away. You're safe. Yeah, I know. We're safe. You're that safe. ain't going to ever happen. Hey, but it's, 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 a, it's a carrot we can hang out there, right? We can dangle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm holding my breath on that one. So with that, keep rolling dice and take your names. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Dice and Names, Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our next one is going to be about toys being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Which ones do we think will win? wrong you hit you didn't hit the record button did you all right i'll stop <laughs>